0: The Theonauts, episode 89. The one where we set the record straight.
1: The Theonauts podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing. But the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hello, all you theo out there. I am David Gaddy, and I'm Jeremiah Orr, and together we are the, the theo
0: knots Hey, David, how's it going? I'm good, man. I'm, I'm doing really good. It's awesome. a Wednesday afternoon. We're uh, enjoying. It's a not ten o'clock, o'clock at night. No, it's not. We're you know we're up. So we're, we're happy.
1: We actually. Aren't having to drink a lot of coffee to get through the show this time. That's right.
0: That's right. You might have to drink a lot of coffee to get through the show, but we <laughs> are gonna be doing fine. So yes. how's your week going? I just need a lot of cough syrup oh. to get through the yeah, show. Yeah, you do, yeah. You've been driving my me wife's crazy. doing the same thing.
1: It's like two, three weeks now. I just will not go
0: away. Well just write this down. Stop it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love that <laughs> <laughs> That is the best short ever Yeah, uh, it's a Saturday Night Live thing Is it a Saturday Night
0: Live? Yeah. I can't remember Who is that? Bob, Newhart, Bob Newhart Was the, the guest on there That guy's hilarious Dude, he has the best comedic <laughs> timing ever yeah. It's so great
1: He was like, I'm going to tell you two words Do I need to write these down? Well, you can
0: Most people most, I find Most people, you know, it's
1: two easy words. enough to remember yeah.
0: Stop it <laughs> Stop it, or I will bury you in a box. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do it. <laughs> oh, that's great. Anyways, oh man. So, uh, how was your week? What oh, it's, you
1: it's going all right. Yeah. Um, I have a new grandson. Yes. Yeah! Yes. Congratulations. They they currently have him now. He wow. is. Uh, they're still in Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. But they they have him. He is theirs. He is not going back to the orphanage. It's so official. It's they've got him. Like he's in the hotel with them. Awesome. And he he got his uh visa uh this morning, which means they'll be traveling home um, tomorrow. Oh my goodness. So which means so this is get, huge. They'll get here on Friday. So yeah. <laughs> it's, the thing of it's almost surreal. <clears throat> yeah. Because it's been
0: it's been an ongoing thing for
1: Oh, it's been a yeah, a long time. Like about the time he was born. Right. Of course course they started it before they had a baby sure, you know, assigned to them. So how old is he now? Oh, I wanna say a year and a half, something like that. Wow.
0: Well praise the Lord.
1: That's so awesome. And he's doing really well with them. Like he's really warming up to them and reaching for them and Wow. So yeah, he's like he's like bonding already with them. So it's cool. It's going to
0: be an all-new life for that kiddo, so praise the Lord. Yeah. That's great. Oh, man,
1: and speaking of that type of thing, I'm reading a book right now called The Insanity of God by Nick Ripkin. Huh. Have you ever heard of it? I haven't, no. Oh, man, it is hugely powerful, and it's about, it's about foreign mission stuff. Really? And this dude... The it, the the book is of course he's pseudonyming this because he doesn't want to give away who he really is, uh, right? And, and okay. the people that he's that that hap- that are in the book with him, that are, sure. He doesn't Compromise want them. yeah he doesn't want them to get you know because their their lives would be in danger, right? But anyway, he's uh it's about his mission work in Somalia. Wow. And man, I th- I just thought Haiti was rough.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah, so I'm reading, reading this crazy. thing. It's
1: like, wow, you got to be kidding me. I mean, there's one part in there where they were—he ba- was burying—getting up in the morning, he's burying 20 babies a day, or children, 20 children a day, every single day. How do you do that? They're just—and and, uh, the whole thing is about—you uh, know, we've talked about suffering, and we talked about why would God do this and all these things that people ask— and this, this hits that head on. I mean, it is, it's all about going into a place where you would think it's impossible to serve God. It's impossible to spread the gospel. It's impossible to bring aid to these people. And it's about um, how the uh, Christian uh, agencies yeah. that do this type of thing, none of them would touch it with a 10-foot pole. Wow. We won't go in there until it's safer. We, we we can't and, and what whereas like the red cross and these secular humanitarian aid places are going in and doing this that and the other right. the christian ones won't touch it with a ten foot pole and anyway it it addresses a lot of issues in, in it, that we talk about a lot like the uh like the christian culture
0: right the modern evangelical yeah, culture in and, america and
1: and the whole institutionalization of christianity <laughs> yeah. and how that's affected um, how people actually serve throughout the world. Yeah. Anyway, there's just,
0: another good book, "The Hole in the Gospel." I think we've mentioned it before on here. <coughs> yes, I've uh, read that one by the, uh, author of uh, who, Richard Stearns. Yeah the uh, the president of World Vision. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a good friend that does he runs for World Vision. Uh, shout out to Chris Miller, but uh, uh he he he's in Kansas City and actually he gets people to sponsor. Uh, doing five Ks and stuff, and yeah. all the money goes to to that kind of stuff. So oh, that's it's, cool! That's pretty awesome. Well,
1: so far I'm about a third of the way through this book, and it is way more powerful than the whole in the Gospel was. Wow! But the whole in the Gospel w- was powerful for me because it was it was my entry drug right. into into it's, serving it's an initial serving God. Because whenever I read it, it that book really changed my life. I know people who have read it and went, eh. but me personally, when I read it, it had a huge impact on me because where my heart was at the time I read it. Right. And uh, and so it and I the reason why I'm even reading this book is because a really good friend of mine uh, th- it was his entry book. It wow. was it was his book that that when he read it changed his service life completely. You know because it made him really start thinking about uh, what it means to to serve God. Yeah. Like one of the things the guy harps on in here is Matthew 28. He's like, there's no getting around that. He says, I believe that is instructions to us all. And whenever the, yeah, whenever the the, the agencies were trying to figure out if he could to qualify to, to be planted in uh, Africa, they wanted to know. Tell us a little bit about your calling. And he said, I read Matthew 28. I'm called to go make disciples. <laughs> and they were like, no um, yeah, but give us a little bit of your history of how you feel called to. <laughs> He's like, You mean reading Matthew 28 is not enough? <laughs>
0: But that's so true and it's not just one particular organization it's every Christian organization out there really I mean on on the main scale that's doing missions right now they want mm-hmm. a they they're doing all this you know interview process and go through and it's really a lot of red tape Yeah nowadays. he said I wonder how it's much crazy.
1: how much paperwork the apostle Paul had to fill out before he went on his missionary journey <laughs> I'm sure tons and tons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that anyway, uh, one of the things I wanted to, to to share before we got into the study okay. was uh, I've, I've been going through our um, statistics on the podcast. Oh yeah. And I haven't done this in a while. And okay. so I always find it intriguing, you know, going here to see, you know, how many views we, w- of course we've, we've topped 20,000 downloads. Woo! And so, yeah. Praise the Lord for that. So we're, we're doing pretty good. And, um, so, anyway, I, I guess that's a relative term because there are podcasts out there that, that do that in a day.
0: Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but uh, we are not that one yet. <clears throat> yet,
1: but I'm, we're we're content with that, you know? <laughs> right? Absolutely. If only a hundred people listen to the show, it's like having a room for a hundred people to share with. You that's know? right. So, hey,
0: it's great.
1: So, um, anyway, I'm looking at the distribution of where of where the people are listening to the show. Yeah. Um, so first off, I'm looking at this map of the world. And obviously, America is the bulk of the listeners. Um, it's like seventeen thousand something from America. But it's just cool to know that other people in other countries are listening. Uh, like, for example, uh, Canada's the next in line. Okay, um, four and three quarter percent of our listeners come from Canada. Um, wow. But there are United Kingdom, Germany, Russia. China, Bulgaria, Australia. There's like uh, you know a quarter of percent of, of them are from um, Australia, half a percent of them are from China. Wow! So I mean that's just really kind of cool.
0: I never thought that our <clears throat> podcast would reach China. That's interesting. Yeah,
1: if if you're out there in China listening. Dude, call us or something yeah. or e- email us or uh, it might be kind of hard to call. But, right. but email us or something. Let us know. Yeah, we want to talk to you. That's right. Um so let's look at the let's look at the uh, um uh the USA. Okay. So obviously we're based in Texas. Right. And the the majority of our listeners come from Texas. Right. Uh however um Right behind Texas is, believe it or not, New York. (laughs) Especially recently. Like, over the last three months, we have 18.69% of our listeners are in Texas. 18.61% are from New York. You're
0: kidding me. It is, like,
1: almost neck and neck with our home state. Why New York? I don't know. I haven't heard from anybody from New York, I don't think. I haven't either. So... Uh, let us know what you guys think over there in the Big Apple.
0: That's amazing. Or maybe you're
1: out in Albany or or right. somewhere. I don't know. But, uh, you know, holler at us.
0: <laughs> Drop a line. Let us know what's yeah, going and,
1: on. Um, I was looking at the, the stats, and uh, this is kind of a cool thing. Every – somebody from every single state in the United States has at least heard – somebody has heard from every state in the United States <laughs> except – uh, what is this one? Wyoming, Wyoming. God figure, Wyoming, South Dakota. Okay, and Vermont. <laughs> so you people in the Midwest, no, I'm just kidding. Sorry. Get get in your car, <laughs> drive up there, and listen to a Theonauts
0: episode in Wyoming yeah. <laughs> or South Dakota. Or Vermont? <laughs> yeah, I've actually
1: vacationed in Wyoming. I could have at least listened to the show. While My was up aunt there. lives
0: in Wyoming. Why in the world hasn't she listened? <laughs> I'm going to call her right now. Aunt Jackie, come on.
1: That's of course, alert. GCTN is based out of Tennessee, so mm-hmm. it, so they're they're kind of high on the list. But uh, and California is is way up there too. Uh, wow. Over the past three months, 15 uh, of our listeners have have come from um, California. California. Wow. So yeah, that's that's. Pretty cool. Anyway, I just thought we'd I'd share. The, I think that's awesome. The, I
0: think it's amazing, you know, that how it spreads out like that. So you know, praise the Lord.
1: Yeah. Oh, there was one other thing I was going to look at here. I can't remember what it was right off the bat, but um, the, this this little uh, our host for the show gives us all kinds of trends that we can. Um, oh, okay. Here we go. The. Um, the most listened to shows of all time. What do you think the top one is? Noah. Nope.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hold on. <laughs> hold on. I'm gonna guess good. Uh why do bad things happen to good people?
1: Um, no. That, that one's kind of new, so this is all time. Okay. Uh the one that that is uh, getting the most listens is episode number forty-two, where we talked about war, and we talked about uh, really, yes, and and uh, should Christians should Christians kill kill in that sort of thing, and um, <clears throat> and then right under that one is the one where we did the age of the Earth. And you remember that one went crazy. Like half of the ha- right. half of those views came right off the back. It was bat. like
0: 500. Yeah, I don't that. know
1: if we got listed on some site or something, but uh yeah, that one got got nailed out. And third on the list, you're not even on the show. Really? Yeah, it was me and Riley. We were talking about biblical authorship.
0: <laughs> so
1: we're gonna touch hey, we're on gonna some of
0: that today. Talk on talk about that today. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Th- you know, that was a
1: really good episode. It was a lot more scholarly mm-hmm. than our, some of our others. M- our most popular month ever was October of last year. We pulled in nearly two thousand downloads. Wow. So that's pretty good. So how much are we
0: averaging a month usually?
1: Uh, it looks like about a thousand. That's not bad. It's yeah. not bad.
0: Keep listening, guys. We definitely yeah. need you out there and, listening, and, supporting, and to
1: help us out a little bit more. Uh, it is really important. Like if you're listening to us on iTunes or whatever, go to I- iTunes and um, rate and rate us. Yeah, because if the more uh, good ratings we get, the more in the algorithm, right? Uh, iTunes will put us put us up so people can find us easy.
0: Exactly. And
1: especially if you if you leave a comment there, it'll really it'll really help. To big deal. So, we ready to get rolling?
0: Let's do it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I got this stuff <laughs> caught in my throat. So, we are talking about History again, church history. Yes. And we're going in there, and our goal is to debunk some myths or some misunderstandings or mistakes that people make when talking or thinking about church history.
1: Right. So we did, uh, we did a whole series on church history. Yes, we did. And so some of this is going to be... Review.
0: Yeah, we're gonna revisit some things. Also, authorship. We're gonna revisit some authorship stuff. Um, but but it's important, and the reason it's important church history plays an integral part, (laughs) right? Definitely in today, uh, for us to understand where to go from here. Not only that, but to understand, you know, what the early church fathers believed and to get a firm foundation. Church history is all about foundation, yeah. And so if you're not
1: well, and it's also good that. to know where we, where the church has made mistakes and where it has gone wrong. And Absolutely. I mean, there's there is all this stuff in the history since the time of Christ, right, that we can look back on and go, "Whoa, you know, we were torturing people. What was wrong with us then?" <laughs> and yeah. Um,
0: oh, yeah, like the Inquisitions.
1: <clears throat> yeah, so there's there's going to be you know, um, the, the, but there's a lot of misinformation. And and revised history. Oh yeah, that is 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 formulated.
0: In fact, I think out of all history, I think Christianity is one of the biggest re- revisionist histories out there. Mm-hmm. There's so much that you know people speculate about it, and you can go through. You can look at the Knights Templar. You can look at that whole. Oh stuff. yeah. Stuff you can you can see Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code, uh, which is definite revisionist history, yeah, right? Yeah. A lot of what I. I uh, a pseudo scholar—I won't even call him a scholar. I'll call him a pseudo scholar. Uh, Bart-, Bart Ehrman, Ehrman uh, does uh, <laughs> yeah. with his lost gospels and all those other books. Yeah, um, a lot
1: of these guys are big promoters of uh, Gnostic writings and that sort of thing. And right. they have a, an agenda. There's not. This isn't them being, um, com- you know, completely. Right, uh, open about their research.
0: <laughs> Absolutely,
1: <laughs> they 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 have an agenda, and uh, and it's not that that you know Christians have an agenda too, but but still, let's be honest about you know what what, what your, we know. What
0: yeah, and it, that's the big deal. You know, uh, don't don't revise
1: it. You know? Well, and <laughs> be the, open about what you know, and be open about what you don't know. And it's interesting that almost all this stuff we're going to talk about. Is in the public record. I mean, you can oh, go yeah. find it. It's not hard. Go to your to find the history research, yep. of some of this stuff. That's right. Um, the problem is, very few people do that kind of research, so they take on whenever someone says, "Oh, uh, the Bible was written by these handful of priests who got together, and, you know, or whatever." When <laughs> right. someone makes up some crazy theory about where the right. Bible came from or whatever. Right. Then all of a sudden, people go, "Really? I didn't know that." And then they just, <laughs> and then they just run with it without doing any research. So, you know, be a Berean in exactly and, and even on the stuff we tell you. I mean, we're not going to be a hundred percent right on the stuff that we say, and there's going to be things we misquote, mis- statistics we get wrong, or whatever. And so, just research what what it is if you're interested in the topic. And uh, but one of the things that kind of drove. What we're doing oh, yeah. was we had a, a listener put on our Facebook page—well, we put on the Facebook page a funny little meme. Right. You know, yeah. it was the the curious um, uh, African boy or whatever that you always see in the memes, you know, looking up kind of quizzical. And uh, he says, oh, you mean uh, Constantine talked the uh, church into changing its doctrine despite 300 years of, of right. being tortured and—
0: and <laughs> Then says, "Stop reading Dan Brown." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we
1: put that out there, just kind of oh, goofing that's around. Hilarious. And uh, and we got a comment on it saying, "Hey, did you have y'all ever done a show on this?" And uh, so I thought, "Well, hey, well, let's revisit some of this stuff." Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. You know, it's uh, it's about time we freshed up, uh, freshened up some of this stuff. It's been almost two years since we did the church history. Yeah, yeah. Which is crazy. It's my how time flies
1: yeah, so well, let's start about start with that one first, since it's probably gonna be the biggest one we talk about, I guess. and um, <clears throat> and the one that that kind of jumped us into this whole right. understanding history and and whatnot. And that is this thing that we constantly hear that Constantine somehow convinced he called this nice Nicene council together in three hundred and twenty five a d right. and uh, the, this group of people determined. That Jesus was the Messiah and the God, right? And he was made deity at that. They invented council.
0: the deity of Jesus in AD three twenty five. Yes, right.
1: And and they and they also uh, compiled what we now call the Bible. Yeah. And threw out uh, all scores, the scores of valid gospel writings over two hundred or something yes, like that, that that have been discarded just by the. Right. Okay, so that's the. That's the Bart Ehrman, Dan Brown uh, version of what happened in 325 A.D.
0: And the conspiracy theory is, and and part of this is true, that uh, well, Constantine did make Christianity the the official religion of Rome, Mm -hmm. Uh, that is true, Um, but the conspiracy theory is, is his goal was to unite Rome under this banner of Christianity, and so he had all these people meet together and he basically told them uh, this is what we're gonna say. This is this is what we're gonna believe. We're gonna make Jesus our God, mm-hmm. right? And uh, we're gonna throw out anything that says otherwise. We're gonna uh, discredit anything that says otherwise, and kill whoever says otherwise, right? And yeah. we're gonna set this up as our our worship model and unite Rome under it, so that Rome mm-hmm. will be united. And that was the goal behind it. And the only part of that really that's true is that Constantine did you uh, did make uh Christianity, the official religion. But well n- and
1: there is probably a um there was a political motivation yes. behind it in that um Christianity that he was now embracing was in up in arms with each other. Right. They were at each other's throats well, yeah. over the nature of Christ. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> and definitely. Th- this was causing that he was afraid it was going to cause unrest yeah. in in the um uh, in the Empire. Yeah. And so that was part of his reasoning for calling all these church leaders together and saying, "Okay, guys, let's hammer this out, and you guys decide right. what the nature of Christ is, because that seems to be what everyone was." Uh, up in arms and of course, about. we talked about this a lot in our series, right? Because it keeps coming up.
0: That's right. Well, and. Uh... And again, there was this thing called Gnosticism that was sweeping through, and that's what Christians were up in arms again, uh, against. Against mm-hmm. um, was this this heresy that was, or schism. Heresy means, right? You know, division. Not, yeah, division. Of Christianity, going okay. So we believe that basically the body is a tomb, right? And and uh, it's evil, and all the flesh stuff, and and Jesus really wasn't even physical. Yeah, the, we're
1: trapped in this fleshly
0: right, and so all this prison. Stuff. So um, you know, when Constantine calls it together, his goal is he doesn't have. A certain goal in mind. His goal is to get everybody together so they can agree mm-hmm. on um, one of the biggest uh, problems that I see in this myth is that uh, people say that it was a really secret of meeting. It wasn't a secret of meeting. In fact, uh, there were around three hundred and uh, eighteen bishops, mm-hmm. right? Uh, at this meeting, it was a widespread meeting of the minds. It was yes. everybody who was somebody in Christianity at that time came to this council and everybody talked about it and wrote about it and discussed it. It wasn't something that was hidden. what they were talking about wasn't hidden. this wasn't the some secret society meeting right and that's what they portray it as whenever mm-hmm. they portray this <coughs> council and I see it was this like you know the inner sanctum of the Freemasons, right, right. <laughs> With their heads yeah. on, and they're going, okay, this is what we're going to tell everybody, right? <laughs> and that's not what happened at all. Everybody came, no. and they were like, oh, this is what I believe. Well, this is what I believe. Yeah, it, let's,
1: it, let's not forget that this is 325 A.D., that's so right. which means we're 300 years into Christianity. Right. Okay, now 300 years in the course of, of history seems like a small amount of time. But stop and think about, from our standpoint, what was happening 300 years ago? Wow! Wow! Have a United States of America three hundred years ago. That's right. Okay, and then that seems like forever for us. Yeah. Right. I mean, the Declaration of Independence was seventeen seventy six. Right. This, that wasn't three hundred years ago. So.
0: (laughs) Right. So, well, and you got to you got to think the uh, the the New Testament had already been in circulation and in. Almost set in in stone by 170 right yes
1: Christians were writing letters to each other were writing books all of this was already happening long before this council came right. to play and people were quoting scripture yeah. and quoting Paul as scripture and 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 they weren't quoting a lot of these so-called perfectly good gospel tracts that got right ditched. Um, they they were quoting what we commonly use as our New Testament. Right. Um, it wasn't compiled the way it is now. Right. But um, but they were still using it as scripture.
0: Exactly. And there there were canons. I mean, it was it was pretty much the canon. Mm-hmm. It it just hadn't been said. Okay, this is the canon. Right. Yeah. So okay. So one of the one of the main things to debunk about um, of, about the Council of Nicea is the fact that. Uh, they met and then they said, "Well, this is going to be the deity of Jesus." That would already been widely believed by every every Christian there. They believed that Jesus was God. Right. They believed that. They just wanted to set that in stone. Uh, and, well, not everybody.
1: Well, almost everyone. Arius was the problem. Right. He was the problem child in this whole um, yeah. Council of Nicaea. So, and, and it's also important to note that Constantine didn't even really inject an opinion into this. Right. He
0: didn't have a dog in the fire.
1: Really. Right. He, he just brought the minds together. Yeah. Um, it was Arius and Athanasius, Athanasius who were the ones that were opposed one toward another. And basically it was like, okay, here's one extreme of the argument. Jesus was created by God and he's not eternal. He's not deity. He's not okay. Then you had um, the Athanasius who was saying, "Yes, he is deity. He right. is God. He is the whole book of John and that sort of thing." So that's what where the debate uh, was raged. That's right? right.
0: And and so um, everybody, almost everybody, agreed with uh, against. Uh, um, Gosh, i Arius. Arius. Yeah, almost everybody Especially, aligned against uh, Santa Claus. Yeah, Santa Claus punched him in the face, which... <laughs>
1: may or may not have may happened. May or
0: may not have happened. That, that was a rumor about 500 years after, uh, which <laughs> I just discovered today, which is, makes me kind of sad.
1: Yeah, because that was really a it's cool a, story. It's a great
0: story, but it, it might have been yeah, about 500 years before. Uh, anyways, um, so... They met and they agreed Mm -hmm. that Jesus was fully God and fully man. Correct. That was the outcome of that. And they used Scripture to back it up. Yep. Right? They used Paul's Paul's, uh, epistles. They used the
1: Gospel of John. And this is why Dan Brown claims that the canon of Scripture was created. Because what they said in in their findings was, these are our sources, and they listed 27 books or right. 27 writings. And this is why we believe this is he is God because right. of the writings in these. So they used that. It wasn't like, okay, now we're going to build a Bible. It was, <laughs> that's not what happened. Right. So, yeah, they used those texts as... Uh, source material, but you can go back and this once again, this stuff is in the public, man. You can, oh, yeah, you can go download these early church father writings straight off the internet for free, right? You can get them everywhere. Uh, there's tons of them, I mean, volumes, encyclopedias worth,
0: right? Of writings, you'll never get through it
1: all, right? It's huge. Uh, but you can go in there and you can find them quoting all 27 of these books long before. The three hundred and twenty-five Council of, Nica- of Nicaea.
0: Exactly. Wow. So uh, another thing, yeah. So going going to the Council of Nicaea, talking about scripture, they. Uh, so how did we get the New Testament if it wasn't you know declared at the Council of Nicaea? And the reality is, is as monks were walking around with their canons, mm-hmm. which contained at least almost all twenty-seven. If not, you know, give or take a few, right. as early as 100 A.D., right? Mm-hmm. They were walking around with these. Uh, um, I'm looking for the name. I forget his name. Uh, one particular monk. <laughs> I lost this. I mentioned it in an earlier episode, like way back in the day, and I tried to pull back up my source and I couldn't find it. <laughs> but, but the point I'm trying to make is the canon was already established. Uh, to say that this was the place where the canon was
1: born is just
0: not true
1: right at all and um, and I do believe there are some statements that happened at, at now. Oh, by the way you can go look up the findings of the Council of Nicaea right. once again they documented it it's right. all written down uh, you can actually read the Nicene Creed which was where they declared what they believed what they came to the conclusions that they came to right um so, you know, all, all of this is, is, is like in the record. They, they quote uh, Colossians. They quote Revelation. They, they, um, they quote Joel, uh, Romans, Titus, uh, things because they're pulling out passages that the Apostle Paul tells us, quote, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. That's in Colossians 2.
0: right. So um, and if you if you want to talk about what they they considered, they definitely considered the writings of the apostles holy and set apart. Right, um, and not only that, but the four four Gospels. Uh, Mark just a martyr uh, who lived from 100 to 165. He considered the the four four Gospels uh, sacred, as mm-hmm. as well as uh, <laughs> a- he mentions Acts and Revelations in his writing. You have um, I just found I just found who I was looking for. You have Ignatius. Um, not Ignatius. I'm sorry. Uh, you have Clement of Rome, uh, who talks about, makes reference to Matthew, Mark, Hebrews, Romans, First Timothy, Titus, First Peter, and Ephesians together. You have Polycarp, who pretty much had uh, his own New Testament. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, uh, you had Ignatius. These are guys in the one hundreds. Okay, yeah. So that's the earliest time set and time frame when we're looking at with with the gospel or with the uh, with the New Testament being fully com- compiled. And so you can't go and you can't say, well, in three twenty five is when they made it, set it down. No, they were using it way before, a hundred years yes. before,
1: right? And they weren't using the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Judas, <laughs> the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, the Gospel of Mary. The mother of, of Jesus, exactly the infancy gospels. They weren't using any of those, right? And and it has been proven that Thomas didn't write the Gospel of Thomas, Judas didn't write the Gospel of Judas. These were what's called uh, uh, pseudographica, right? Which the is
0: supergraphy,
1: which, which which means it's. Ascribed to someone that didn't write it.
0: Right, it's a writing that somebody uh, claimed was from somebody else. Ascribed to them so that it would get circulation and get renown.
1: Right, and because uh, if you stick an apostle's name on there, like Thomas, it's going to sell someone, like wildfire. Yeah, yeah. hey, yeah, so it's going to be the next thing. <laughs> hey, right. let's put something in there that's weird, like you know, right, like uh, Jesus uh, killing children and whatever, but. Uh, and it comes, yeah. and, and most of those writings were written by these Gnostic groups.
0: Now, right. there was
1: a huge Gnostic um, um, group of people in Alexandria, Egypt, at this time. And, a lot, and that's where a lot of these Gnostics were coming together and they were writing this stuff and then circulating it. Right. And uh, those things, some of those did get shot down at the Council of Nicaea as not being, they were written uh, in the 300s. Right. I mean, they, they were... They, exactly. They, they are not, uh, and it was obvious, everyone knew that these were not the writings of Thomas and Judas right. and, and whatnot, or Mary. Right. The biggest so,
0: evidence I have for this is uh, uh, the meritorian, Muratorian. Uh, It's 160 AD, uh, which a lot of people held to, and it almost almost has exactly the canon that we use today. Almost exactly the 20... And this is 160 AD. So if that doesn't tell you that (laughs) the canon was pretty much established by that time, then nothing will. And the reason we harp on this so much is because if you if you don't have that canon established early on then they can make the claim well maybe these Gnostic gospels should have been in there maybe you know this this christian religion is a made up thing yeah and it wasn't made up these were actual authentic writers and that's another thing for arguing for authenticity which uh, which i'm going to go to uh, in one of my frustrating Well the, things, well, the
1: witnesses but, go all the way back to right. the time of Christ and you can trace them like polycarp is a, a student of, I believe Peter. Right. So, like, he went to the same church that Peter was the bishop of. Right. And and so it, it's like you can trace these back. All these guys wrote this stuff exactly. down, so you we can trace it back within all the, the way, same generation, right, to mm-hmm. uh, the time of Christ, which is absolutely important. Um, all right,
0: another another thing that's a myth for the uh, Nicene Council. Did Constantine change the Sabbath to Sunday?
1: I haven't heard that one.
0: You haven't? Well one of the <coughs> one of the myths is that Constantine established that Sunday was the day that they were gonna I think work.
1: Constantine's it. getting way too much
0: credit here. He is. He was a he was a facilitator. It's like it's like uh, you know He arrested
1: hey, Saint Nick for punching Arius in the face.
0: Right. <laughs> it's like saying, Hey, we wanna have a meeting at your house. Can we come? And you going, Yeah, sure. And so we meet at your house and that's it. That's the extent of his his agenda in this whole thing so um anyways uh really what they what they decided um was that uh sunday should be the celebration of passover sunday should be oh, the celebration okay. of easter right so that's what they that's what they <coughs> decided okay
1: yeah i did see that that easter the, the was one of the things that they did discuss right right um the proper date to celebrate Easter.
0: exactly, and so they discussed that. But that was like a minute point; it was a small thing. It wasn't this big conspiracy to move for the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday, uh, which some uh, Christian sects, sex sex uh, claim you know is a big deal. Um, that wasn't at all what they were trying to do. Yeah, it just naturally happened that we start worshiping Jesus on Sunday because that's the day. He rose from the dead. So, anyways, uh, anything else about the Council of Nicaea? That
1: No, just to go back to the ne- to the meme that that we put up, you know, yeah, because it, what it says there is true. People were dying for this, right? Like people were martyred for for Christ, right? Before, right? This Council of Nicaea happened. So, do you really think that they died for a lie? Do you think <laughs> that that the, that they were making this stuff up yeah. and then dying for it, I, it just doesn't make sense at all. And the, the
0: main thing is that the gospel was set, mm-hmm. the gospel was set, and it didn't <clears throat> change with the Council of Nicaea, correct? The the gospel that Jesus
1: Christ died,
0: buried, it and had was been taught res- for 300
1: years before the Council of Nicaea.
0: It's actually so. I went through it, um, I found this really cool. Uh, website that you can check out. It's called Early Christian Writings, and it actually puts everything in order.
1: Uh, chronologically? From
0: chronologically from when it was written or supposedly written. And one of the first, and this is supposed, they're not for sure, but they believe that one of the first writings is this thing called the Passion Narrative, which was from 30 to 60 A.D. Uh, so that's like hmm. extremely early, right? Yeah. Um, which tells of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It's the first thing. Wow. It's the most important thing. In fact, it's the thing that, that Christian, Christianity is based off of, that if you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, believing, having faith that he died, <laughs> buried, and rose again for your sins, you'll be saved. And that was, <laughs> that was, that was the key, right? So nothing that these secret quote-unquote monks met and, and did with the Council of Nicaea changed any of that. Right. That's the same thing that had been taught for three hundred and twenty five years and before. to be honest. It's been taught for two thousand years. It didn't after.
1: even fix the issue at hand. No, it didn't. The the debate about the deity of Christ and the and Christ's his nature, the nature of Christ, was yeah. he fully God, fully man, all that raged on. Right. There was multiple councils years way up until the the fifteenth, sixteen hundreds this was being debated. Right. So, you know, it's like Nothing the, crazy.
0: Yeah, the point of the council. Whenever everything was set and done, they they pretty much what they do: uh, twenty edicts and a creed that they made, right? And that was it. So, anyways,
1: Did you hear that? the lawnmower? I hear
0: the lawmower. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Uh, you know we're professionals here. Okay, so. That brought me on a path. So today I was studying, and that brought me on a path to the authenticity of Scripture. Oh, okay. And something that I just want to readdress, that we've already, you guys, you and Riley covered extensively on the authenticity of Scripture, uh, mainly the Pauline epistles. Because out of all... The authorship and... Yeah. Well, besides the Gospels, the most heated debates rage today about the Pauline epistles, specifically Colossians, Ephesians, and uh, the uh, pastoral epistles, whether or not they were written by Paul.
1: And so, number one, why is it
0: important to understand that they were written by Paul?
1: Uh, because he is ascribed as the writer to most of those, <laughs> like in the very first verse. <laughs> and if he's going to lie about who he is, can you trust the rest of the content? Uh, right. It, it's, it's absolutely important to the
0: credibility... Of the book, that Paul is the writer. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for instance, the, the arguments uh, against Ephesians, uh, the main one, of course, all of these arguments center around the idea that well, the problem is, is that uh, it's he uses different words than he uses in other <laughs> right books. Right, but that's a to me that's a mute point it's a terrible argument for example in Ephesians they say well Ephesians uses like some 35 odd words that Paul doesn't say in other books that we absolutely know are his writings for instance Romans okay or uh um, Philippians or first Corinthians or those those writings and uh the uh the reason it's a mute point to me is that you can look and you can take any one of those books by themselves, say Romans, and match it up against First Corinthians, and there's thirty word there's thirty words that Paul doesn't use in From, First Corinthians right, that he right. uses in Romans. So that's a total <coughs> moot point. Um, these these uh the authorship had been pretty much totally accepted. Yeah. All the well, way up until uh, Really, uh, until the late 19th century.
1: All right. Yeah, I'm looking at one thing here about the, about the book of Ephesians. Yes. yes. Uh, okay, so um, we can, once again, this stuff is public record. Go yeah. look up the writings of Clement of Rome. 95 AD, okay, that's when Clement of Rome lived. He wrote uh, uh, about Ephesians coming from Paul. Exactly. He wrote a letter to Corinth that quotes Ephesians 4. Uh, Ignatius, he lived from 30 A.D. to 107 A.D. He quotes Ephesians as a writing of Paul. Right. Polycarp. Polycarp was 65 A.D. and he died in 155 A.D. The disciple of John the Apostle. So it wasn't Peter, it was John. So he was a disciple of, uh, he studied under one of the Apostles. Right. And he quote and he asserts that this is the writing of Paul.
0: Right, right, right.
1: Okay, so who are we gonna
0: believe? Exactly. Somebody two thousand years after the fact that's going, Well, this just doesn't look like it's Paul's writing. He doesn't he doesn't say the same (laughs) things here. And then or somebody like Polycarp who who was I mean right there in the midst of it and says this is Paul's letter, Ephesians. Um so Ephesians In Colossians, I mean, it's way easier. Yeah, it's way easier to argue um, that Paul wrote those, and they are extremely similar. Which is one of the arguments against, for some reason, they people. Well, they think
1: that somebody copied copied one, right, and then just elaborated. So Ephesians
0: is a copy of Colossians, (laughs) yeah. But Colossians wasn't Paul's writing either because it's weird. Mm -hmm. That's all they have really is it's weird. Well, I mean,
1: even even Colossians. We have early writings with people qu- quoting it as a writing of Paul. Irenaeus did so. Right. Um, Clement of Alexandria, different Clement, but still an early guy, uh, 160 A.D., uh, refers to it as a writing of Paul. So,
0: right, I, you know, uh, you have uh, some some good arguments for the authority of Colossians being um, being Paul's. Uh, uh, because if you put it side by side f- with Philemon, uh, there's a guy by the name of Archippetus, mm-hmm. right uh, which is <laughs> talked about in both letters and Philemon is a, is they guarantee is Paul's, right they say that well, this is Paul's um, so anyway, so if you have Colossians being Paul's, then they say, well Ephesians it can't be um, and the introduction to Ephesians gets a lot of people up in arms. they think that the introduction's way too verbose and way too uh,
1: um, different from Paul's other introductions. Yeah. Um, but he was writing to, he mentions this is a circulatory letter. Exactly. He, that's, he's not just addressing a congregation at Ephesus, even though that was who it was addressed to. Right. He, he tells them, hey, send this letter to everyone around you, which, yeah. by the way, if you know the ancient geography there, uh, that would include include Colossian right. uh, Colossae, and uh, and and so th- that whole area of of Asia Minor yeah. was to be reading this thing. Right. So that's why it was addressed
0: the way it was. Exactly. Uh, the pastoral <coughs> epistles. This is a this is these are really hotly debated. In fact. If you go on Wikipedia even, mm-hmm. right, if you you look up... Well, it's got to be true. The pastoral epistles, yeah, it's got to be true. If you look up the pastoral epistles, they'll say, although ascribed to Paul, most uh, sc- biblical scholars believe that they weren't uh, written by Paul because of their late dates, okay? <laughs> and the argument, this is the number one argument against the uh, pastoral epistles. Well, it just doesn't fit into Paul's known uh, accounts according to Acts, Right? Where where was Paul when he wrote these right. letters? He was in Rome, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what what was going on? Uh, you know, we don't have any any circumstances around these letters being written. So obviously he couldn't have written them, and they're such a late date. But they don't take take an account that there could have been. We end Acts with Paul alive, in yeah. prison, right? Yeah, he's alive. Well, on his way to Rome, exactly, yeah. and we don't know. What happens after that? We don't have a biblical account mm-hmm. of what happens after that. So it's very, it's extremely, in fact, ninety percent uh, plausible that th- these could have been written after the Acts account, right? Uh, later on in his life.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which,
0: which, which is what I believe, anyways. Uh, they they point to um, problems with of. Again, the language that he uses, over, a hun- uh, over one-third of the vocabulary is not used anywhere else in Pauline epistles, and over one-fifth is not used anywhere else in the New Testament, <laughs> while two-thirds of the non-Pauline vocabulary are used by second-century ter- second Christian writers. Another big thing that they argue about is Gnosticism. Right, Gnosticism, which uh, was a big
1: thing. Well, at least early Gnosticism, or the the seeds of Gnosticism, right. was an early thing combated in a lot of these writings.
0: Right. Okay. So in Colossians and Ephesians, they almost take center stage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, also, in, especially Colossians. Yeah. yeah, especially Colossians, and also in the epistles are uh, not the epistles in the uh, the pastorals. There's not there's mentions of Gnosticism or ideas of Gnosticism, but Gnosticism scholars say didn't exist till second century A.D. So why right. in the world is Paul talking about this in the church well, in first century A.D. Hold on, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> this is the argument. Okay, why in the world is Paul talking about these in the church in first century A.D. when they didn't even take shape until the second century A.D. Uh, so that's the big question you got to answer. Something. Well, I was
1: about to say to clarify about what gnosticism is. Yes. Gnostic, the, the word gnostics, Gnosis, gnosticism yep. that is not the name these people attributed to themselves. That's right. Okay? They weren't going around going this is the church of gnosticism with a sign out front. That term was back-labeled. It was put on them much After the fact. much later. Yes. Right. So there's not just one gnosticism isn't just one group of people it is. There are a lot of similar pagan. Some of it is completely pagan. Completely, they're just trying to adopt Christ into their theology right. that they already had. Right. Uh, there is some Gnostis, Gnostics that were um, that that were into. Um, um, it was a mixture, a little bit of Christianity mixed in with Greek philosophy. So the seeds. That's why I keep using pre-Gnostic seeds or whatever. They're right. At the time that Paul wrote these letters, the full-blown movement which was being combated in the, in the second and, and, and third, third century, century, those are those that wasn't solidified yet. But the seeds were there. Right. There was people saying Jesus didn't come in the flesh. There was, uh, which is a Gnostic teaching. Right. Th- there were people talking about hidden knowledge and mysteries and uh, uh, principalities and spirits right. and all these. Uh, levels of heaven and, and and aeons that you had to pray to in order to get to God. These are all Gnostic type of teachings. Right. And they were all like individual um, uh, false teachings that uh, that Paul was trying to address. Right. He wasn't, he, sure, he didn't say, oh, now for all the Gnostics walking around, he addressed the, the teachings that ultimately became part of the Gnostics' right. religion. Well, and... Here's
0: something that we I think we need to understand living in uh, living in our time period. In our time period, we categorize things so much easier, mm-hmm. and it's actually a lot uh, I think a lot easier for us to separate things into different camps. Yeah, isms. Isms. That's right. I'm an ist. Yeah. I'm an ism. Ist. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, back then, religion was widespread Mm -hmm. there weren't pockets of religious people religion was like in fact part of culture there were no atheists
1: Right, there's no
0: such thing as atheism (laughs) back then. Okay, everybody was religious. Some of them took it more serious than others. That's right, and exactly, some (laughs) people took it more serious than others. Some of them, it was their livelihood. Right, Um, religion was absolutely important to everyone back then. So you have to go and you have to look at that, and you have to say, okay, so if religion's absolutely important to everyone back then, and go back to look to to the seeds the roots of where these beliefs were, the spiritualist roots, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of spiritualism in Gnosticism. Right. It's all about the spirit the, versus the And there's the a lot of
1: of Kabbalah, yes. the, which comes from the Jews.
0: Ancient Jewish yes, beliefs. All is, this
1: mysticism, it's exactly. a blending of all these different types of, like the Zohar was an ancient writing that, right. that actually is a form of this Gnosticism. Gnostic type of teaching. Exactly.
0: So to say that Gnosticism didn't exist in Paul's time is absolutely not true. It existed in a pre-labeled form Mm -hmm. in so many different ways. In fact, and Paul was trying to combat all those ways along with combating legalists uh, or uh, he calls them Judaizers, right. along with combating uh, Greeks who were going and uh, worshipping idols, and then coming back and yeah. worshipping Christ. Yeah. Right? He's well, he's another idol. I'm gonna put on my shelf. Along mm-hmm. with all that, he's combating this whole idea. Well, it's a spiritualist thing that Jesus wasn't really physical or anything like that. That the problem is, is scholars cling too tightly to their time zones for different religions. Yeah, yeah. And the reality is is that they they go way farther than that. They mm-hmm. have so many big <clears throat> roots. So to say that, well, the Pauline epistles couldn't possibly be written by Paul because of this Gnostic stuff, and, and Ephesians and Colossians couldn't, because of Gnosticism, it was so much later. That's just, it's not <laughs> true. It's absolutely not yeah. true. And number one, <laughs> the evidence you had already brought up, the evidence uh, that that we had people, Polycarp, people walking around as early as like 120, 130, uh, 140, uh, using these epistles and using these... Uh, Asso-
1: associated with Paul. Right, right,
0: exactly. Shows us that he was the author to mm-hmm. me. So anyways, that was one that just bothered me.
1: One of them I got that should be kind of a quick one. Okay. And and basically, uh, we can't cover all of Christian history Mm -mm. to do this, but um, a lot of times you'll hear people ascribe what they're practicing right now in the 21st century. (laughs) What they'll ascribe it to is, we are doing exactly what the first century church was doing. And, it, and this, isn't, this isn't just one group or denomination that will say this. This There's a lot of people that believe, Sure. hey, there's always been somebody somewhere practicing just like I do it now. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, And you'll say, well, what about the Dark Ages? Oh, they must have been in a cave or something, but there was somebody being there's true. There's a
0: scarlet thread. Being
1: true to That's it. That's right. But the thing is... You, we honestly are supposed to believe that there were pockets of Christians that were leaving no writings behind whatsoever. Like, there's no evidence of that type of thing at all. And when you really start doing an honest look at all the writings that are available and all the history we can conjure up, what you have is, from about this time of this Nicaea Council— Things start changing drastically. That's right. Church starts becoming government mm-hmm. because once again Constantine's here, so there is an issue.
0: Oh, yeah. with that. And yeah, and they it, once they elect their pope, and once uh, once it becomes a governmental issue, yeah, mass
1: start having yeah. um, you know different groups, and then and then they ended up splitting into two different empires and two different right. religions and. By, the by, what was that, 1065 A.D., I guess is whenever the Eastern Orthodox and the, and the, Roman, the Catholic. Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. And, and so, but you had a thousand years there yep. where there was nothing except for Roman Catholicism. That's right. And it got to the point where a lot of the priests didn't even know, the only Bible they had was Latin. That's right every no one had these original manuscripts they were all locked up in monasteries and and whatever the 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 common man had no bible period so how is he how is he going to live in a cave doing it a special way different than the than the catholics <laughs> he's not right he's the, the only religion you knew in the dark ages was what the priests were telling you that's right and they could tell you anything really mm-hmm. because By the end of the of the first uh, millennium, they didn't even know Latin. That's right. They're just reading it. They did. They didn't know how to interpret. This is what you. It it became
0: a ritual with no understanding. Right.
1: So the the Reformation is actually really important because a lot of our roots that we have now, they don't come from the first century church. They come from. The Reformation. That's right. At least the Protestant uh, movement. It, it all is a is it, it has branched out. Yeah. And one says, "Well, I think the Bible teaches that we should do it like this. Let's go back to doing it this way." And then someone else will say, "Well, I don't quite agree with that, but I agree we need to go back. I just don't think they were doing it like this. Let's do it like this instead." And so this creates a whole blanket right. of different practices.
0: Right. So what what we're saying here is that. No one group can say, well, this is exactly how the church service should be done. Mm-hmm. No one group can say, well, this is exactly, you know, how how the, the, the first century Christians did it, and they were, you know, underground. No one group has that authority to do that. And
1: I would think we would all be shocked if we were to step I back in too. time and walk into, you know, what we would consider a worship service right. or a meeting of christians right. it would i don't think it would be very similar to what we do now at all because even what we do now is still derivative that's right of roman catholicism yeah a lot the a fact lot that we the fact that we meet in churches sure they're not With cathedrals stained glass windows yes they're not cathedrals anymore but they're church buildings and they you know they're all formulated kind of the same they got an aisle they got mm-hmm. pews they got a pulpit that wasn't in the first century. That's right. That's all Catholic inspiration, exactly. That 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 brought about those the topics.
0: sacred desk. Well, I can't believe, and I've heard this before. And I'm not. Hear me before I go off on this. I am not. <laughs> I'm not making fun of anybody. Um, you know, last time you said that as much as as much as yeah, I know. As much as I am making fun of my own tradition. Which is something that I've held to for such a long time. Yeah. The sacred desk is what we call it in my tradition. I don't even know what that is. That's the pulpit. It's the sacred desk. And the sacred desk is an institution in the church. And it needs to remain there. And we have the sacred desk and we have the Lord's Supper table. You take those out, it ceases to be a church. In a lot of people's mindsets, in my, in my history, in my, right,
1: right. Well,
0: what we got to understand was there's no such thing as the sacred desk. It's not sacred. <laughs> it's a, it's a, th- it's a stand to put your material on so you can teach the word of God. What you put on that desk is sacred. Yeah. The Bible. Well, even right.
1: the sermon as we know it. Oh yeah, wasn't quite the same. I don't the think in song the song service.
0: Century. All that stuff is completely different. Um, and I think it's time that we, we realize that, you know, we are products of the Reformation. And it's okay that we're products of the Reformation because it was a glorious thing.
1: Well, the point yeah. is to try and serve God to the best of our ability exactly. and knowledge. And so uh, it, it, God is looking at our hearts to see, what are you attempting to do? What are you trying to do? Are you worshiping me in spirit and in truth? Is it honest? Is it is it full of spirit? That's what, that's what he's after. And so, um, you know... We can all come to our own understandings of it and go, no, it has to be like this. But ultimately, getting everybody together to do that is just practically impossible.
0: Yeah. Well, and again, you hold in one hand content and you hold in the other hand context. Right. Your content never changes. It's the Word of God. You stand on truth. The context always changes. How you do things depends on culture. Because,
1: yeah, time just changes
0: things. Time changes things. That's right. So uh, on the back of that, talking about the Reformation, I want want to dispel a vicious rumor against one of my heroes in the faith. Oh, boy. (laughs) Here we go. All right. You may not like him for theological reasons, and I will understand that. I'm not talking to David. I'm talking to everybody out there. You may not like him for theological reasons, but the minute you call him a murderer is the minute that I have to disagree with you. There is, There has been for a long time, people will go around and say, well, I don't understand why you read John Calvin. He was a murderer. And these people who say this simply don't understand church history, and they, they obviously don't understand cultural history. Okay, so we talked about the Roman Catholic government being, or uh, the Roman Catholics being part of the government, right? Right. How, how bad am I on time? Are we... Oh, we're, we're good. Okay. I'm just I'm just good. looking. I, I would, okay, so anyways, because I'm going to go crazy on this. So anyways, <laughs> all right, so the Roman Catholics, uh, they pretty much took over the government. So whatever they said went,
1: right? Mm-hmm, right.
0: And the government went hand in hand with that.
1: So, Sometimes. There was some... Right. There was some backbiting. Like in, in, in England and whatnot, there was some dissension here and there.
0: Exactly. So the... Really, the, the time where it became this most serious dissension is when we get around the time of the Reformation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so people are rebelling against the church, and they're setting up their own, uh, their beliefs. You have Martin Luther in Germany. You have uh, King James, right? Or not King James, sorry, King Charles. And is it King, who is it? Which king is it? Yeah, Henry. Yes, Henry. It, Thank but, you. But
1: Mary was the one that went crazy.
0: You got Bloody Mary, yes, but I'm I'm talking about King Henry. Okay, uh, he's he's the guy that s- schism from the the Catholic Church to begin with. Yes, because he right. wanted a, a he divorce. wanted a divorce, he couldn't get, get it him. through That's the right. church, Anyways. and so he went sideways with them. Exactly. So you have Henry, and they set up their own their, their own church, the Ecumenical Church, right? Um, and then, or the Church of Church England. of England. Yeah. Sorry, man, I'm way out of it. <laughs> Talking about history and I don't even know history. Okay, so yeah, he sets up the Church of England, but the point I'm trying to make is government and church went hand in hand at this time, and it continually went hand in hand even after the Reformation. Right. Right. So, if well, the were- church
1: was so powerful that the kings needed the church's approval. Right. And and so and the in the church also was trying to get those kings in their pocket to do things the way they wanted them to do. And it, it was always, like, bad when you had, like, a kid take the throne, like Edward, who wanted to be a reformer right. and wanted to be a Protestant. Right. <laughs> but anyway. Exactly. And so you had...
0: It went back and forth actually for a time. You had yeah. Henry who who changed everything. Then you had Bloody Mary who was right after Henry, right? Uh,
1: after Edward, I believe. Or after Edward, that's oh, right. Yeah. Henry
0: had a son, Edward. Edward didn't last long. Yeah, he right di- he
1: got sick. Died. Yeah,
0: he got sick and died. And then you have Bloody Mary who's like, Okay, we're going back to Catholics. Yeah, and, and if I'm you're killing not killing
1: everyone who ain't
0: right, I'm gonna <laughs> kill everyone who's not. And then they went back, you know, to so it goes back and forth. But the the point I'm trying to make but is
1: Mary's what drove him to Geneva, by the way.
0: Right. Mary did drive a lot of Protestants to Geneva. And not only that, but um, they had been dealing with people going, if you're not Catholic, we will kill you. Right. So whenever they set up their government in Geneva, which was not John Calvin who set this up, it was the Genevan. Populist, the Geneva government, they set up laws Mm -hmm. for blasphemy and set up laws for different, according to their Protestant beliefs, they set up these laws. Right. Okay? So, they weren't, a lot of them weren't practicing these laws when John Calvin got there. John Calvin, when they asked him to become the head of the Genevan church, okay? So, he's the head of the Geneva church, and again, government and church work hand in hand. Right. So... A lot of their practice, I love this story, but a lot of their uh, their gov- main government officials were not ab- abiding by the laws because they, some of the Christian laws, because they just figured not a big deal, like sleeping around, stuff like that.
1: Yeah. so well, that's the, That was Stephen in America. Right. I mean, we had th- those type of laws.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So John Calvin, he goes to some of the magistrates and he's like, look, if you don't abide by these laws that you've put down, not me, you put down. I'm not going to administer communion to you. <laughs> and they're like, what? And he's like, yeah, on Easter of all times. Yeah. I'm not going to administer communion. So anyways, they kick him out of the church or they kick him out of Geneva and then they call him back. But anyways, the whole thing about John Calvin being a murderer comes from one incident, not multiple, but one incident Michael Servetus in August of 15, uh, 1553, or 1553 um, who was arrested for the crime of heresy in Geneva. Now, remember, this wasn't John Calvin going to this man and slapping irons on him. On him. This was the government saying, he's a heretic. We're going to arrest him. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, governments all across the world were doing this with church. This is what you did for since Rome. Yeah. Right? So, anyways, but Calvin was on the uh, city council, right? Calvin was on the council, but Calvin—I
1: don't know that. I just, I'm just guessing. He was.
0: <laughs> Calvin advised the council against burning him at the stake. Calvin advised them to behead him instead of burning him at the stake, which they because he wanted a not as cruel punishment. Yeah. Right.
1: What was this guy's heresy, by the way?
0: Uh, I don't know that. Uh, i think it was it was a big deal um, for for them but it was pretty oh it w- it wasn't arminianism it was pelagianism okay so he's a pelagian heretic okay okay um anyways so not only that, nearly two dec- decades earlier, Servetus asked Calvin to leave the safety of Geneva, where he was safe right now, being protected by other people who want to kill him because he was a reformer, right? Leave the safety of Geneva to discuss their differences. They had argued back and forth. Calvin, uh, though Calvin was wanted by the authorities in the area in which they were to meet, he went at the risk of his own life to reconcile Servetus, to counsel with Servetus. Uh, the truth of the gospel and Servetus never showed up. Hmm. Okay, this is this is two decades before Cervatis is caught and tried. Okay? Not only that, Calvin in open letters begged him to repent. He said, I neither hate you nor despise you, nor do I wish to persecute you, but I would be as hard as iron when I beheld you insulting sound doctrine with so great audacity. He says, I reminded him gently, this is Calvin talking, I reminded him gently how I had risked my life more than 16 years before to gain him for, for our Savior. I would faithfully do my best to reconcile him to all good servants of God. Although he had avoided the contest, I never ceased to uh uh, remonstrate kindly with him in letters and in word, and I used all humility to the very end, until he, being embittered by my good advance, hurled all manner of rage and anger against me. He went to pr- the prison, begged him to recant, begged him over and over and over. This guy would not recant, and it wasn't Calvin who was the deciding factor; it was the council. Mm. He didn't. He didn't want it. But it happened. And so people today, from this story, they take, and I've heard people say, well, he killed thousands in Geneva uh, because they disagreed with his Calvinism. And it has nothing to do, <laughs> number one, with Calvinism. That wasn't even a thing back then. Calvinism yeah. wasn't even a word. So I wouldn't have gotten killed. No, you wouldn't have gotten okay. killed, definitely. And I <laughs> wouldn't have either. So uh, it's, it's crazy. Um, the, the people that, that believe that, that Calvin killed a
1: million people is just
0: ridiculous. And it's just it's a misinterpretation, a misunderstanding of, of church history again.
1: But it plays into an argument. so Yeah, of course yeah. it
0: does. So, so
1: Okay, well, the last one that I've got is uh, the misunderstanding that the King James Version of the Bible was the original <laughs> Bible. But it was! How dare you! I'm leaving right now. No, I'm joking. Um. So, and, and I'm not kidding. A lot of people do think that, that the King James Bible oh, I know. was the original I was
0: Bible. at a, uh, I worked at a Christian bookstore early on in my faith. Uh-huh. And, uh, and I caught this guy putting uh, cards in the Bibles in the back, uh, in all the other Bibles except for the King James Version. And these cards were pamphlets, tracks about how. Uh, the King James was the only inspired version. Right, they right. were going to hell if they bought it. And them. there's a lot
1: of King James-only proponents out there. And I'm not even really going to try to, um, to <laughs> hit that or nail that or anything like that. I love like the King that. James. I do. I mean, and that's what I wanted to preface this with. I really like the King James, yeah. so don't get me wrong here at all. Um, however, there is, uh, I just just looking at history, here's, here's the deal. Um, the The Bible was not written in English to begin with. It wasn't. Not at all. Wow. No these, no thous, no no, ye, no ye's, no uh, no th's at the end of our verbs. No, uh, I mean th- that 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 is old English speak. The Bible was written long before the English language even existed. Right. So um, the Bible was originally written. Well, the Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew, some Aramaic. Uh, the New Testament. It was written in formal uh, or common Greek, mm-hmm. Koine Greek. Um, and so about 400 AD, Greek language was changing. Languages were, well, the Hebrew language wasn't being used all that much either. Right. And so uh, the church at the time commissioned St. Jerome to seal the holy scriptures in a dead language. So it would never change. And that language was Latin. Right. And so Jerome translated the entire Bible into Latin and shelved all these (laughs) manuscripts or whatever, and that Latin Bible became the Bible. Latin Vulgate. Yep, the the Vulgate for everyone to use. And this lasted a 1,000 years. Uh, No one touched any other version. Right. So, um, however... Uh, things then started to uh, change uh, because people didn't know Latin, right. and, it, and it was also the the common people, especially, were not educated and had no access to the Holy Scriptures at all. So people were taking issue with this and thinking, "Okay, we've got to remedy this. We've got right. we've got to get the Bible into a language that everyone understands." Uh, the first time that, and there's there's several times whenever it was. Uh, Parts of it were translated into Anglo-Saxon, which was the early roots of the English language. Um, But it wasn't until 1384 A.D., John Wycliffe was a reformer. He was an early reformer, right? and so things weren't going crazy at the time, so he wasn't even persecuted for it. But John Wycliffe was the first person to produce a complete manuscript copy of the Bible, 80 books total. Because it included the what we now call the apocrypha right. was in the Vulgate, so therefore it got translated with it. Uh, so Wycliffe is the first person to do this, and this is in an, it's an, in an old version of English. Like if you have an original Wycliffe, it's really hard to read. I
0: love reading those. Yeah, it's because
1: it, the spelling is really weird, and it's just, <laughs> it's really hard to, right. to actually read. But anyway, there was no such thing as a copy machine, right, um, or a printer. So this had to be handwritten. Yeah. So he handwrote. Meticulously. The entire thing, uh, all 80 books. Um, Then, 1455, the Gutenberg Press is invented. So Gutenberg invents this printing press. Right. Books can now be mass produced. This was revolutionary. Sure. So what's the first thing they wanted to print? The Bible. Yeah. So the first book ever actually printed is the Gutenberg Gutenberg Bible, which was printed in Latin. Unfortunately, we're still stuck with Latin. Of course, but uh, but anyway, that's the first printing of it. Uh, then, fifteen sixteen A.D., a guy by the name of Erasmus, he starts collecting all the manuscripts he can get his hands on. None of them date back all that old. Most of them were in the during the uh, Dark Ages. Right. Um, and but there's about five thousand of them. So it was tons of them. And they all agreed very close to one another. Sure. So he compiles all this Greek and uh he builds a parallel Bible between the Greek and the Latin. And this is um this is actually becomes what most translators will use in the ancient times. So when we get to the King James, we're right. going to find a lot of it is because of what Erasmus did right here that actually led to sure. the translations that, um, that, that we know of. 1522 AD, Martin Luther, now as a reformer, one of his issues once again was people don't have a Bible. That's right. I'm going to do one in German because he was a German. Sure. So he, he translated the Bible into German. Um, then watershed moment: fifteen twenty six A.D. William Tyndale in England, English speaker, right? He is a um, a, a, lingu- a linguist, fluid in ancient Greek and Hebrew, right? He translates among
0: uh, like twelve other, languages. oh yeah, others as well. <laughs>
1: He translates the, um, the Bible into English for mass production. Right. Because he decides, he has this plan. I'm going to translate the Bible into English, and then I'm going to go find some printers, because now there's a printing press. Yeah. And I'm going to put this in every hand in England. That was, his, that was his goal. Right. And I have this little quote here on my wall by him. He was actually um, yep. uh, discussing his plan with a monk, who said, that's heresy. You can't print the Bible in English. (laughs) And his response to him was,
0: If God spare my life ere many years, I will cause a boy who drives the plow to know more of the scripture than you do.
1: (laughs) I love that. It's about empowering the people with the word of God and and putting it into their hands. This guy is one of my personal heroes. I, I, I love this guy's story. Uh, he ends up, by the way, getting caught and killed for it. Right. Um, because this was a no-no. Sure. His his translation ends up becoming contraband. If you were caught with it, I mean, it was worse than being caught with drugs. Right. I mean, it was being smuggled into England because he had to go outside the country right. to print it. He is in Germany. He's in Antwerp where, where all these, um, where the Reformation is flowering. And he is printing there in secret and shipping this stuff in crates of clothing and and, yeah. and whatever back to England. And the the church officials are furious. They right. They send a spy out. They hunt him down. They arrest him. He ends up um, getting killed under King Henry VIII, who was trying to appease the church at the time because he was wanting another divorce. Right, And uh, in order to do so, he made concession and actually had— William Tyndale executed. Now, while, in, while Tyndale was in prison, he did most of the Old Testament. He didn't get it all done, but he got most of it done. Right. Okay, so in, he, he dies in the, um, in the winter of 1534. So uh, he makes this dying prayer. And when he's at the stake, about to be strangled and burned, his prayer to God is, "Open the eyes of the King of England." Mm. Okay, then he dies. Six months later, the King is fed up with the Church. He says, "Forget you." <laughs> kills his wife or whatever he you know, has her beheaded. Right, and then he, uh, he he decides, "I want a I want the Bible in English, and I want everyone to have it." So he commissions um, the Bible to be uh, printed in uh i'm sorry that was 1537 so uh, tyndale died in the winter of 1536. in 1537 tyndale uh the the tyndale matthews bible was printed which is a compilation of tyndale's actual work and the work of miles coverdale um kind of put together and so this is one of the best translations of the bible you can find actually in, in my opinion it's 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 passionate I mean, it is a labor of love. It's yeah. not a work. It's a labor of love. This is the one with all the notes, right? Uh, there are some notes in it, yeah. Um, Tyndale's original version had notes in the margins, but the uh, the Matthews Bible stripped a lot of those out because uh, they were very opinionated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were. So, okay, two years later, the Great Bible is printed which is by the way this is the the first english language bible authorized for public use by the church right okay so the catholic church says okay fine we'll print you one we'll print an english bible but we'll chain it to the pulpit we're going to make it absolutely huge and we're going <laughs> to chain it to the pulpit so if you want to read it you got to come to right. to the to the church and go up to the lectern and we'll meet.
0: stand there and stare at you Yeah. you do
1: <laughs> so So that's what the the Great Bible. so then this kind of competition begins between the the Reformation of the Protestants and the Catholics on printing English Bibles. There's this back and forth and back and forth that happens. Um, You have Queen Mary comes up. Everyone runs up to Geneva to keep from getting killed. The Genevans go, hey, we're going to do our own translation. So John Calvin and company, they do their own translation. It's called the Geneva Translation, and that was in uh, 1560 is when that happened. Uh, in 1568, the the church, the Catholic Church, decided, okay, if everyone wants a Bible, I guess we'll go ahead and do one. <laughs> so they d- so they do what's called the Bishop's Bible. So this was the first uh, Bible that um, that was readily available to everybody. Um, they did a subsequent one in 1609 called the Douay. It's an Old Testament, um, and then a, a, a Rames is the New Testament. Um, that was the first complete English Catholic Bible translated strictly from the Vulgate. Right. So they didn't go back to the original manuscripts. They went to the Vulgate, and they they did that. Okay. So so then another watershed moment, 1611. King James is sitting on the throne. King James decides. He wants a complete old, uh, old and New Testament with Apocrypha translated and distributed across the board. Right. Okay, so this is the King James translation. Um, 47 scholars were hired to do the translation. Now, this is not an original work, by the way. So right. people that are thinking that the King James translation isn't, is inspired— like the Holy Spirit was working through that. Well, it must have been working through one of the guys beforehand because most of the language in the King James translation comes from these previous English translations. Right. They, p- they picked and they chose from the existing translations. And I wanted to look at a letter. This is a letter from King James to the translators. Uh, he says, The following set of rules has been prepared on behalf of the church and state— by Richard Bancroft, Bishop of London, and High Church Anglican. For the better ordering of the proceedings of the translators, His Majesty recommends the following rules to them to be carefully observed. Now, there are 14 rules in this declaration. Uh, First off, the very first rule, the ordinary Bible read in the church, commonly called the Bishop's Bible, is to be followed and as little altered as the original will permit. <laughs> That's rule number one. Yeah. Okay. So yes, this is a translation, but it better not stray very far. It's a copy of a translation. <laughs> it's a revision. Yeah. It, it really is a, a revision of the Bishop's Bible right. on, on the whole. Um, of course, the, some of these rules are, you know, not that big of a deal. Um, the names of the prophets and the holy writers with other names in the text or to be retained as near as can be according to the vulgarly used, the Vulgate. Right. Uh, and uh, here's a big one. The ecclesiastical words must be kept as the word church is not to be translated congregation. <laughs> okay, and the reason why that rule is of there course. is because uh, the church saw this word church as governmental. Yeah. So they didn't want the word church taken out even though the word "ecclesia" is better translated as, as assembly. assembly or congregation. And Tyndale actually translated it that way in most cases. So they, they jumped over that, right. and they made sure it said church everywhere. So anyway, there's a bunch of other rules here. They're all kind of marginal. Uh, like, there's things like, you know, don't leave, the, don't leave the margin notes in. Make sure you take all that stuff out because it's right. going to offend people. Um, so anyway, uh, just the whole point is just that the King James was the most popular because the King wanted it to be, it was authorized by the King. It was distributed to all the people and it used, uh, these previous translations as well as Erasmus's, uh, compilation of the Greek manuscripts as its sources. Right. Um, so there's been subsequent findings since then, but there's yeah it's iffy whether or not those manuscripts are reliable or not. And uh, but anyway, there's the the point is the King James was not the original That's Bible. That's right. There 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 are there were many before it, and some of which I believe are even better translations. You just can't get them, you know, readily. Readily. Yeah. Uh, but and of course it all King James was the King James translation was responsible. For solidifying the English language as we know
0: it. That's right. In fact, it's so it's so important. I, we talk about it in Brit Lit, you know, as in any senior class because it it you know
1: it really solidified the, the King's grammar, mm-hmm. right? Now, a lot of people complain. Well, it, there were revisions to the King James. Yes, there were. Uh, there were several, but most of them were incidental because the language was getting solidified. Right. So the the spelling was being. Uh, set right so like it the first translation of it you could have one word uh the the word church might end in an e on one page and it might not have that silent e on the next page and it was right. perfectly acceptable right but in the revision it's like oh no let's drop the e everywhere yeah so
0: well the language is morphing and then it got solidified but the point is the the reality is is you know the, the King James is not the only inspired version it's not you know Scripture, the best. We've said this over and over again, but the best translation is
1: all the translations.
0: Is all the translations.
1: Use Amen. whatever is at our disposal because, because whenever there's no such thing as a good translation, right. because something is lost. Yep. In the translation, but every translation together makes for a good translation. That's right. So that's good. So anyway, that's that's really all I got.
0: Me too, man. I think we've. Uh, Exhausted that source. Hey, uh, comment to us. Let us know or drop us a, a voicemail. Uh, anything that drives you nut about, nuts about revisionist uh, church history, <laughs> or maybe uh, maybe something that we missed uh, in in what we talked about. It would be good to hear from you. So, yeah. anyways,
1: so okay. Well, uh, do you have any news? Uh,
0: I do have a couple things. If okay, you want. let's do it. And now the news. First thing I wanted to bring to the forefront, of course, uh, is the uh, the terrorist attacks at Brussels, right? Um, two days ago, uh, thirty-four people killed, um, over two hundred they found now hurting uh, or wounded. Uh, this is a terrorist attack again. It just keeps getting worse and worse. But pray for Brussels. Pray for the people there. Maybe definitely. Uh, yeah, maybe God will use this as an intervention. Maybe people come to Christ because of it. So. Um, just a sad thing. I hate it, you know, it's tough, but it's our world. So uh, anyways, out of the uh, darkness and into a little bit of fun stuff, uh, found a crucifix that could change church history. It's dated in the early 900s. Oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, Dennis Fabricius home had been only been playing around with a metal detector for a few months. But this March, he found a small golden crucifix that could be among the earliest pieces of evidence of Christianity in Denmark. Mm. The crucifix was found in Onslav in Denmark, just 1.6 inches tall, made of gold threads and tiny uh, uh, filigree. Is it filigree? Yeah, like yeah. the little... That's right. Yeah, right. the pellets. Uh, the back is smooth. It's being date, but they think it's early 900s. Um, and the reason it'll change history is it might shed some light on um, when Denmark came to Christianity because they believe it was uh, later than the early 900s. Oh, okay. So it might change a little bit of that, that history. So talking in church history, it's pretty cool. interesting. Yeah. And then another depressing thing. Uh, <laughs> okay. Sorry. So depressing. <laughs> so, oh, the psalms. <laughs> uh, pay-to-pray scam. Christian Prayer Center must refund $7 million. What? Yeah. For four years, anyone with a prayer request could pay the Christian Prayer Center, CPC, a website with nearly 1.3 million Facebook fans, between $9 and $35 to intercede for them. We're doing that for free! Yeah, I was going to say that. Visitors of the site as well as the (laughs) Spanish language sister site, Orquiana, Christiana, um, saw testimonials from religious leaders and lay people who claimed that God gave them healthy babies, winning lottery tickets, money for mortgage payments, and clean HIV test and cancer scans after they paid for prayer, according to the Washington State Attorney General's office. More than 125 Thousand people did pay. From 2011 to 2015, there were more than 400,000 transactions Wow! poured more than $7 million into the pockets of the site creator. Pro- trouble was, the popular site, which eclipsed even the International House of Prayer in its Facebook following, was a fraud. The counter Facebook page, the Christian Prayer Center scam, went up in 2012. Alright, so they've Fought, fought, and finally won. So this guy has to pay back $7 million. That's just sad. It's it's yeah, so that's, ridiculous. That's and sinister. exactly, uh, I wanted to use this as a plug for the reality that we have a prayer site. We don't charge you any money. Yeah. And this prayer site is for you to come out and pour your heart, right,
1: mm-hmm. and let
0: other people pray for you and to pray for others and encourage one another. Uh, and. It shouldn't be a costly thing. <coughs> Correct. Um, this isn't, you know, it's just a misunderstanding of <laughs> prayer What's funny is,
1: is it's hard enough to get people to do that. It's like, how in the world does this fraud place get, that's true. you know. Well,
0: when you're offering that you can win the lottery. And, oh, yeah.
1: Forgot about that.
0: Yeah, that's kind of a big deal. It's to different
1: people. type of prayers. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's not
1: prayer. Prosperity prayer. That's prosperity prayer. <laughs> Sad.
0: Anyways, uh, this time in Christian history. Oh! Jump in my TARDIS like every week <laughs> <laughs> and wait forever for this thing to heat up. Is it going? Is it, You know, they could have done a better effect, I think. Uh, just me. Well, it
1: dates back well, like, to what? The I 60s? guess it's like the 60s.
0: Yeah. Okay, anyways. Um... John Newton converted by amazing grace this day. Oh. Yep. Wow. Uh, To be at sea in a storm on an ocean liner can be thrilling. To face a storm in a sailing vessel that is not seaworthy can be terrifying. The boat in which John Newton sailed was in despair, and its sails and riggings worn. A hard man who had often mocked God, John was considered impious (coughs) even by his godless mates. One night, he was awakened by a violent wave crashing against the vessel. Water filled the cabin. Hurrying above, he found the timbers had been ripped away. All were in terrible danger as the ship plunged through a furious storm. Men uh, pumped desperately. Clothes and bedding were stuffed into holes and boarded nails over them. John joined those who were manning the pumps. Too exhausted to pump any longer, he was lashed to the wheel to try to steer the ship. The storm raged on and on. It was bitterly cold, so much so since the men had few clothes left. In this desperate moment, John turned his eyes back over his life. He considered his life, and then John was convinced that the Lord had reached down and delivered him. So he was saved, and on this day in 1747, he surrendered his life to God. And then... Then he wrote Amazing Grace. He wrote Amazing Grace. Pretty amazing, Wow, that is cool. So... That's
1: all I got, man. Okay, cool. Well, I've got one quick. Awesome. Yes, we have uh, voicemail this week. Here we go. Hey, guys. I'm in my car. This is uh, Jeff, and I'm first-time caller. Just uh, finished your show on Job, and noticed at the end uh, when you were talking about uh, the The Anonymous that you were talking about confessing sins anonymously. And I was curious about whether that was actually something that could be biblically done. To confess sins one to another, it would seem like you would need to be known. Anyway, curious for your answers. Hope you all have a great, great day. Talk to you soon. Wow! Thanks for calling. Jeff.
0: Absolutely, it's great to hear from uh, from a first time caller. That's yes, great, man.
1: awesome. And uh, be careful there on the road, Colin. Yeah, you know, that's she right. Might be like Brandon, you know, who's always <laughs> done that.
0: And... So uh, you want to take this?
1: Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, the I agree that confession should be face to face. However, we've created a system. That has put a roadblock in the way of that. And uh, so when we go to the Scripture um, and we ask, you know, like, is it biblical? I mean, honestly, that's kind of a subjective term because we don't really know if you're asking, hey, is it legal to do it? Or is it, hey, is there an example of this in the Bible? There's not an example of right. an anonymous confession in, in the Scriptures. Um, however... Um, the principle that is taught in the Bible toward confession is, is where we're heading on this. So in James 5, it says, confess your faults one to another. It doesn't necessarily give us any details about how that has to happen. Um, the Catholics believe that has to happen with a priest in a booth and, you know, whatever. But uh, the scriptures don't actually give us directive on how it should happen, but there's a principle being taught. So if people aren't willing to sit down and confess a fault, like for example, let's say you're a pastor or a, or a, a, an elder or a deacon or whatever you've got. Some, you've got this position that, and you maybe have this sin that is damage would do damage to to you. Not saying it's the right thing not to confess it. What I'm saying is. If we have to do this in baby steps, we have to do it in baby steps. I mean, if we if that's where that the only way we can get you to confess to, to one another is anonymously, then at least let's do that.
0: Right. And I think he makes a really good point. And, and the point is, you know, it scripture does tell us to confess our sins one to another. And the purpose behind that is because churches a uh, church, I say church, our people our walk is to be done yeah, our walk is to be done in community. Yes. It, the way it's meant to be, yes. we should we should have no fear going to another brother or sister and going, listen, this is what I'm struggling with. This is how I've broken down. This is how I've blown it. This is mm-hmm. what I've done. And you're absolutely right, man. We, we definitely, um, we should be doing that. The problem is, is we have created this uh, almost a celebration of Christians Yes. in a lot of ways. This
1: mentality of good Christians and bad Christians. That's right. And and there's so, no such thing as exactly. that type of adjective.
0: So the goal, I, I believe, David and I, whenever we first uh, thought of Theonomous, the goal was to get to that point. Yeah. That's what we were thinking. So that's, that's where we're going, uh, exactly what you said. But this is a way for somebody... Um, that maybe feels like they have nobody around them that they could go to or they feel, they have the feeling of, well, I'm so scared, I I can't tell the Mm -hmm. sin to anyone, this is a chance for them to start... Baby stepping out on that, mm-hmm. stepping and out on up. and right. at least getting prayers exactly because
1: that's the po- that's the point. Exactly, pray for one another. That's right.
0: So we have committed to praying, and, and the people who have signed up for the Theonymous newsletter, the Prayer Warriors, and yeah. the Prayer Warriors have, have committed to praying for those people, and then hopefully through that maybe that will be the spark that goes, you know, I really do need some accountability in my Mm -hmm. life. I need, I need somebody to go to and say, dude, I'm, I'm struggling with porn, man. I'm, I am lusting after a woman at work. And And that's so
1: hard to say, Yeah, especially whenever you, the church has earned the reputation of being judgmental. I mean, we really have. It's been
0: said that we're (laughs) the only institution that shoots
1: our own wounded, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a legit uh, fear. Yeah. Uh, it needs to be broken down, and maybe this is a way to start, right. you know, that process. So that's
0: our idea. Um, answers back. Let us know what you think about that, and uh, if, if there's any a better way to do it. Uh, I love being open to that. So mm-hmm. um, it's great to hear from a first-time caller. And honestly, we've actually
1: had people say, "I I would confess things on there, but you would see my email address, and right. I don't want you to know who I am." Right. Yeah. Which which makes the point even more. Okay, well, you'll get no judgment from us. Right. But people are still scared That's to make confession, even anonymously because they're afraid to put in their email address. Yeah. So it's just the condition we're stuck with. So we're trying to do what we can mm-hmm. to until that bridge can be built. To move out of this culture of condemning. Yeah. But, man, thanks, uh, thanks again for listening. Thanks for... Uh, for calling in That's and, awesome. and chiming in. So are we ready to get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. The Knots are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network using new media and social networking to go in all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, to go to go to gctnetwork.com, subscribe to the newsletter, and stay up to date with all our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema and the Worship Show. Visit our web
0: website at Theonaut Podcast.com for show outlines and notes. Also, please join us in praying for one another. You can anonymously confess sins and pray for each other at prayerspodcast.com.
1: There are several ways to contact us to leave us feedback. Send us an email to theonots at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line at 972-885-7270.
0: Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. Don't forget to leave us comments and rate us as it helps with our show reach a larger larger audience.
1: Tweet to us on Twitter using at Theonautical and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Theonauts.
0: Don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's word with us.
1: All right. Thanks for being here, Jeremiah. Thank you, Dave. All right. God bless. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972 885
0: 7270 that's 972 885
1: 7270 love to hear from you you are tuned in to the gct network this is your great commission this is your
0: great commission transmission at gctnetwork.com oh. great commission transmission this is your great commission kind of transmission stop giving up.